Turtles all the way down, vaccine science and myth. In this episode, we'll look at all of the vaccines on the current US schedule and see whether or not they were tested properly for safety and efficacy. Now that the groundwork has been laid, it's time to consider the vaccines on the CDC's recommended childhood vaccine schedule. How were they tested for safety before getting marketing approval? Were the clinical trials of these vaccines cooked in the manner described above? Were they tested against real placebos? Is their true rate of adverse events known? According to the current CDC vaccination programme, all children routinely receive vaccines against 13 different diseases by the age of two years. Let's examine each of these vaccines. Diphtheria, tetanus, acellular pertussis vaccines, DTaP. The DTaP vaccine is administered in various combinations with or without inactivated polio, Hib and hepatitis B components and is manufactured by two companies, GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, and Sanofi Pasteur. GSK's Pediorix vaccine protects against five diseases, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, hepatitis B and polio. The safety section of the vaccine's package insert mentions 14 clinical trials involving 8,088 subjects. In the largest of the trials conducted in Germany, the trial group received the Pediorix vaccine and the Hib vaccine, while the control group received Infanrix, DTaP vaccine, Hib and oral polio vaccines. In another trial explicitly mentioned in the leaflet, Pediorix was tested against a control group receiving Infanrix, Hepatitis B and inactivated polio vaccines. The leaflet does not describe the compounds given to the control groups in the remaining 12 safety studies, other than indicating that all of them received, quote, comparator vaccines. GSK also manufactures a 4-in-1 vaccine called Kinrix, which is identical to the above Pediorix, minus the hepatitis B component. In the vaccine's largest trial, participants were also concomitantly administered a dose of the MMR vaccine. The leaflet does not mention any trial involving a placebo control group. And how was the aforementioned Infinrix vaccine itself tested? The vaccine, which includes diphtheria, tetanus and acellular pertussis components, was tested for safety in one clinical trial against a control group that received the DTP vaccine, the older wholesale pertussis version, and in another that had no control group. What about the older generation DTP vaccine? What safety testing did it undergo? Although this vaccine is known to have caused serious side effects in infants and was therefore replaced by the newer DTaP vaccine in the late 1990s, it was never tested in a modern clinical trial in which the control group received a true placebo. The vaccine, which was developed in the first half of the 20th century, underwent a series of trials in the 1930s and 1940s, at a time when the concept of the randomised control trial was still in its infancy. Hence, in most of these trials, there was no randomised control group, and the researchers devoted little effort to gathering information on the side effects of the tested vaccine. In addition to the above, a search of the clinicaltrials.gov website 
a repository of clinical trials conducted since the year 2000, yields dozens of results for the GSK's Infanrix vaccine family. None of them specifies an RCT with a placebo control group. To summarise, the safety of GSK's 5-in-1 and 4-in-1 vaccines was tested against the triple vaccine, DTaP, which was tested against the older generation vaccine, DTP, whose safety was never tested in an RCT with a placebo control group. A turtle standing on the back of a turtle, standing on the back of yet another turtle, all the way down. In addition to GSK's diphtheria tetanus pertussis family of vaccines reviewed above, Sanofi Pasteur's DTaP line of vaccines is also approved for use in the US. The Pentacel vaccine, DTaP, polio and Hib, was tested in four clinical trials during its licensing process. In three of the trials, the control group participants received an assortment of different vaccines. The fourth trial appears to have had a control group that received no vaccines. However, the clinical review document submitted to the FDA reveals that the trial actually had no control group. Sanofi's Quadracel 4-in-1 vaccine, DTaP and polio, was tested for safety in one large clinical trial. The control group received Sanofi's 3-in-1, Daptacel and polio vaccines. Daptacel, Sanofi's triple DTaP vaccine, underwent four clinical trials during its licensing process. All of the trials were randomised and controlled, and in all of them, the control group received different combinations of DTaP or DTP vaccines, sometimes concurrently with other vaccines as well. The rates of adverse events in the trials reviewed above were always compared with rates observed in control groups whose participants also received vaccines. For example, a major study conducted in Sweden in the early 1990s compared four different DTP-related vaccines and found that serious adverse events, seizures, life-threatening events, onset of chronic illness, and more, occurred in approximately one in 200 vaccinees. Adverse events classified as, quote, prohibiting future vaccination were reported for one in every 100 vaccinees and one in 22 subjects were admitted to hospital. However, since the rates for the new generation vaccine DTaP groups were similar to that of the old generation vaccine DTP groups, the new vaccines received the green light. The bottom line is that none of the many products in either of the DTaP vaccine family lines routinely administered in the US has been tested for safety in a clinical trial with a placebo-controlled group. Haemophilus influenzae type B, or Hib, vaccine. The vaccine protects against infection caused by the Haemophilus influenzae type B bacterium. It can be administered as a component of the 5-in-1 Pentacel vaccine discussed above or as a separate vaccine. At present, there are three standalone Hib vaccine brands approved for use in the United States. Hibarix is produced by GSK. Its package insert reports a single RCT 
in which the vaccine was administered concomitantly with several other vaccines, DTaP, polio, hepatitis B and others. The two control groups received a different Hib vaccine or a DTaP polio Hib vaccine along with several other vaccines. Seven other trials mentioned in the leaflet were not blinded, known as open label, and apparently had no control groups. ActHib, manufactured by Sanofi Pasteur, was clinically tested for safety in three RCTs. In the first, the vaccine was simultaneously administered with the DTP vaccine, while the control group received the DTP vaccine alone. In the other two trials, the trial groups received a combination vaccine with ActHib as one of its components, while the control groups received the same combination vaccine without the ActHib component and a separate ActHib vaccine. PedVaxHib by Merck was tested in Native American infants. The package insert states that the control group received a placebo. However, all trial participants were also given the DTP and OPV vaccines concomitantly. Polio vaccine, IPV. Similar to the Hib vaccine, the inactivated polio vaccine is administered as either a component of DTaP combination vaccines, discussed above, or as a standalone vaccine. The IPOL vaccine by Sanofi Pasteur is the only brand currently licensed and used in the United States. Its package insert does not mention any pre-licensure RCTs that were performed for the vaccine. Wasn't the vaccine clinically tested before it was introduced into the US schedule in the early 1990s? Well, no. According to a document released by the FDA in 2018, following a Freedom of Information Act request, the vaccine underwent two clinical trials. However, these trials did not meet the current requirements for a Phase 3 randomised control trial. The first trial, which was conducted in 1980-1983, consisted of only 371 subjects in the IPOL trial group and about the same number in the control group, which, and this shouldn't be surprising by now, received the oral polio vaccine, OPV. The OPV, manufactured by Ladurl, was the only polio vaccine licensed in the US at the time. In addition, all trial participants received the DPT vaccine. The trial was controlled, randomised and possibly blinded, though the licensing documents do not state this explicitly, but obviously not placebo-bound. The second study, conducted in Buffalo, New York in the late 1980s, enrolled 114 children who underwent a series of three vaccinations with either IPOL, OPV or a combination of both. Most of the children received the DPT vaccine as well. This trial was not controlled, randomised or blinded. So, the inactivated polio vaccine safety turtle, established in two small trials, only one of them an RCT with any sort of control group, stands on the back of Liddell's oral polio vaccine safety turtle. And what belies below that turtle's feet? Only thin air, apparently. The Liddell vaccine, introduced in the US in the early 1960s, has no public documentation of any clinical trials performed pre-licensure or thereafter. Prevnar vaccine, 
The Prevnar vaccine brand protects against multiple strains of the pneumococcus bacterium that can cause pneumonia. The Prevnar 13 vaccine protects against 13 bacterial strains and has been in routine use in the US since 2010. The vaccine replaced the older generation vaccine called Prevnar, which was introduced in the year 2000 and protected against seven bacterial strains. How was Prevnar 13 safety tested before approval? Browsing the vaccine's package insert reveals that it was tested against its predecessor, Prevnar. In these trials, severe adverse events were reported in 1 in 12 infants receiving Prevnar 13, 8.2% of subjects, and slightly less often in Prevnar subjects, 7.2%. But how many babies who participated in the trial would have experienced severe medical events if not vaccinated at all? That question cannot be answered because the Prevnar 13 trials did not include a placebo control group. Unsurprisingly, the rate of adverse events in the Prevnar 13 was generally similar, albeit slightly higher than, the rate of its predecessor. Thus, the vaccine was declared safe and approved for use by the FDA. Prevnar 13's turtle stands on the back of the Prevnar turtle. And what is the Prevnar turtle standing on? The answer? On the back of another turtle, which is standing on nothing but thin air, as we shall immediately see. Prior to its approval, the Prevnar vaccine underwent a major clinical trial in the United States. In this trial, approximately 17,000 infants received Prevnar and a similar number of controls received a vaccine against the meningococcus bacterium. A review of the scientific paper reporting the results of the trial reveals that about 1,000 subjects in total were hospitalised, about 1 in every 35 infants, and about 1 in 16 had emergency room visits within 30 days of receiving the vaccine. In addition to the Prevnar or meningococcal vaccine, all trial subjects receive concurrent DTP or DTAP vaccines. Note that administering the trial and control vaccines concurrently with other vaccines further obscures the results, as it's impossible to determine which adverse events are due to which vaccines. And what about that meningococcal vaccine received by the control group subjects? In 1998, the year its trial took place, there was no existing alternative to the Prevnar vaccine. Thus, there were no ethical reasons not to give the control group an inert saline injection. Yet, the manufacturer chose to give the control group the meningococcal vaccine instead, despite the fact that it had not yet been approved by the FDA and was still experimental. Why would the manufacturer, as well as the FDA and other licensing approval bodies, prefer using an experimental vaccine over the safe, economical, practical and ethical alternative of a saline placebo? There can only be one answer. To hide the true rate of Prevnar's adverse events. Hepatitis B vaccine. Endurix B is a hepatitis B vaccine manufactured by GSK, which is routinely given to US infants. How was it tested for safety? The vaccine package insert provides an exceptionally brief description. Quote, the incidence of local and systemic reactions was comparable to those of plasma-derived hepatitis B vaccines. 
The package insert mentions another safety study carried out in children aged 11 to 15 years, where both trial and control groups received the Endurix B vaccine, though different dosing regimens were applied. Twinrix, also made by GSK, is a combined hepatitis A and B vaccine. This vaccine was tested in clinical trials against a control group receiving the company's single hepatitis A and B vaccines, Havrix and Endurix B respectively. Recombivax HB is a hepatitis B vaccine produced by Merck. Surprisingly, its package insert does not mention any safety RCT in infants that was performed for this vaccine. In summary, the safety of the three hepatitis B vaccines routinely given to newborns has not been tested in a single randomised controlled trial in which a control group received a placebo. As should be all too familiar by now, it's turtles all the way down. Hepatitis A vaccine. Two hepatitis A vaccines are routinely used in the United States, the GSK Havrix vaccine and Merck's Vacta vaccine. In a large-scale trial in Thailand with over 40,000 participants, GSK's Havrix was compared with a control group which received Endurix B, the company's hepatitis B vaccine. In three other clinical studies, the trial groups received the Havrix vaccine concurrently with another vaccine, and the control groups received several other vaccines, including MMR, varicella, and more. The safety testing of Merck's vaccine, Vacta, was not much different. According to FDA licensing documents, the vaccine was tested in two clinical trials. The first one, Monroe, had no control group, while the second, in addition to having no control group, administered Vacta along with two other vaccines. Vacta's package insert mentions several additional studies, but none with a control group that received a placebo. It's interesting to note that contrary to the FDA licensing document, the package insert states that there was a control group in the Monroe study and that it received a placebo. A closer look reveals that the placebo used contained the vaccine's aluminum adjuvant and further examination reveals that it also contained the preservative thimerosal, a mercury-based substance removed from most vaccines in the early 2000s. As mercury is a potent neurotoxin and aluminum adjuvants are used because they stimulate a strong immune reaction, both of these substances are a far cry from being inert and safety neutral. Measles, mumps, rubella and varicella, also known as chickenpox vaccine. Merck manufactures a single-dose varicella vaccine called Varivax. The safety section of its package insert mentions a double-blind placebo-controlled study of 914 healthy children and adolescents, in which only two mild symptoms, pain and redness at the injection site, quote, occurred at a significantly greater rate in vaccine recipients than in placebo recipients. Does that mean a real placebo was used in this trial? Definitely not. The paper describing the study reveals that the so-called placebo given to the control group was actually the test vaccine from which the viral component was removed. No wonder the rates of adverse events were similar between the trial and control groups. 
Another controlled study compared the safety of two different formulations of the Varivax vaccine. According to the leaflet, the safety profiles of the two formulations were comparable. The two measles, mumps, rubella vaccines licensed for use in the US are a 3-in-1 vaccine called MMR2 and a 4-in-1 vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella and varicella, called ProQuad. Both are manufactured by Merck. ProQuad's safety was tested in several randomised clinical trials, most of which were not blinded, i.e. open-label studies. The largest RCT compared ProQuad to a control group that received the older generation MMR2 and the Varivax vaccine at the same time. Another study in children 4 to 6 years old divided the subjects into three groups. The first received ProQuad and placebo, the second MMR2 and placebo, and the third MMR2 and Varivax. In the open-label studies, the participants of both trial and control groups received additional vaccines. The package insert for MMR2 does not mention any safety trials. As with the polio vaccine, IPOL, described earlier, a Freedom of Information Act request revealed that the vaccine was tested in the mid-1970s in eight small clinical trials. The control groups in all of the trials received either the predecessor vaccine, MMR, a measles rubella vaccine, or a single dose of the rubella vaccine. A total of approximately 850 children received MMR2. Some of the trials seem to have been randomised, but none were blinded. These trials, considered either singly or in combination, do not meet the current requirement of a Phase 3 randomised controlled trial, which might explain their complete absence from the package insert. Finally, let's examine how the original MMR vaccine, licensed in 1971, was tested before getting the nod from the regulator. Will we find a placebo-receiving control group in this legacy vaccine's trials? Well, almost. Similar to MMR2, the original MMR was tested in a few small-to-medium trials wherein the newer vaccine was given to a total of more than 1,000 infants and children. The control group subject totaled at about one-tenth that number, and most of them were siblings of the vaccinated children, which violates the randomisation principle. The control group participants received no injection at all, which means the studies were not blinded. Everyone knew who got the vaccine and who didn't. As with MMR2, the MMR trials failed to meet the Phase 3 RCT bar. Evidently, the safety of the MMR line of vaccines, like the rest of the vaccines in the US Childhood Vaccination Programme, was tested according to the de facto industry rule of turtles all the way down. Mere coincidence or deliberately flawed design? As we've clearly illustrated in the preceding sections, not one of the vaccines the CDC recommends all American children receive was tested for safety in a phase 3 clinical trial where the control group received an inert placebo. All the vaccines reviewed in the preceding pages, of which tens of millions of doses are administered to infants and toddlers in the US every year, 
were tested in trials which did not include any control group at all, or ones in which the so-called control group received at least one other vaccine. Is it just coincidence that none of these vaccines has been tested against a true placebo, despite the fact that in many cases doing so would have been easier, cheaper and yielded more valid results than the testing that was done? Is it just an accident of fate that the accepted methodology of all childhood vaccine trials obscures the real rate of adverse events of the new vaccine? That seems highly improbable. As explained at the start of this discussion, testing the safety of a next-generation vaccine against its predecessor is justifiable on ethical grounds. Withholding an existing and proven treatment from a control group would be immoral. However, there is no justification for conducting a chain of trials, turtle upon turtle upon turtle, that ultimately stands on nothing but air. Moreover, what possible rationale could justify trials for new vaccines wherein the control groups receive other, sometimes experimental, vaccines? Would a safety trial for a new cigarette have any credibility at all if the control group consisted of subjects who smoked a different kind of cigarette? Whether or not you believe this trial methodology is ethical, its consequence remains the same. The true rate of adverse events of routine childhood vaccines is virtually unknown. Therefore, there is no scientific basis for claiming they're safe. The fact that we don't know how often childhood vaccines hurt the children who receive them casts a dark shadow over the legitimacy of vaccine programmes the world over. But that's not all. Even worse, as we shall shortly see, safety trials conducted for some childhood vaccines blatantly and seriously violate the medical code of ethics. In any vaccine clinical trial, a balance must be struck between the vaccine's potential benefits, disease protection, and potential risks, adverse events. When control subjects in vaccine trials receive another type of vaccine, even if it's done in order to obfuscate the real rate of adverse events of the vaccine being tested, the compound they receive is at least of some potential benefit to them. However, in the rotavirus vaccine trials, this imperative ethical risk-to-benefit balance was blatantly violated. The clinical trials of the rotavirus vaccines... Designing clinical trials for the Rotatech and Rotorix vaccines was particularly challenging for their manufacturers, Merck and GSK, respectively. To begin with, the first rotavirus vaccine brand, Rotashield, was recalled from the market after it was found to significantly increase the risk of interception, a highly dangerous condition in infants. This meant that clinical trials for the new rotavirus vaccines had to adhere to higher safety standards. In addition, the companies faced an equally serious problem. With Rotashield off the market, there was no suitable vaccine to give to control group subjects. A rotavirus vaccine dose, a few drops of an opaque liquid, is consumed orally. Hence, the control group in its clinical trials could not receive a vaccine administered via injection as it would violate the RCT blinding principle. If the trial group were vaccinated orally while the control group was injected, it would be easy to tell the two groups apart. 
At the time the rotavirus vaccine trials began, there was no other orally ingested vaccine licensed for use. The use of the live polio vaccine, OPV, also consumed by mouth, was terminated in Western countries several years earlier. As a result, there was no oral vaccine available to compare with rotavirus vaccines in clinical trials. Another option would be to give the control group a few drops of a neutral liquid, such as a solution of sugar or salt water. These compounds are safe, inexpensive and convenient to use, ideal for the purpose of testing the vaccine's efficacy and safety. Because these were entirely new vaccines, which had no alternative, there was no ethical objection to using such a solution. So, on the one hand, rotavirus vaccine manufacturers did not have a ready-made vaccine available for use in the control group. And on the other, there was no impediment to using a cheap, available and effective substance, such as sugar water. How, then, did they choose to conduct their Phase 3 clinical trials? A preliminary examination of the clinical trial record of the rotavirus vaccine shows that the control groups in the Rotatech and Rotarix trials received... A placebo! Was this then the industry's first breach of the sacred tradition that vaccines never be tested against a true placebo? Were the rotavirus vaccine trials the first to provide reliable and relevant information about the rate of adverse events of a childhood vaccine? The answer to these questions is unfortunately no and no. Examining one of the licensing documents submitted to the FDA by GSK indicates that the placebo received by the control group in the main Rotarix trial, which included approximately 63,000 infants, is nothing but the tested vaccine without its antigenic component. This compound, the vaccine sans antigen, French sans means without, is well suited for testing the efficacy of the vaccine as it does not produce rotavirus antibodies. However, when it comes to safety, it's a whole different ballgame. The vaccine sans antigen is a potentially potent compound whose side effects are likely to be quite similar to those of the vaccine being tested. And what was the placebo in Merck's Rotatech vaccine trial? That's difficult to say, because Merck deleted its description from the licensing document submitted to the FDA. It appears that the trial's placebo is a trade secret, which implies its contents were very similar to the vaccines. Further examination of Rotatech documents supports this hypothesis. In another Rotatech clinical trial, the control group received the vaccine sans antigen, similar to the compound control group subjects received in the Rotorix trial. The bioactivity of the compounds given to the control groups in rotavirus vaccine trials was seemingly apparent in the rate of adverse events reported in the trials. In the Rotorix trial, about 1 in 30 control group subjects experienced a severe medical event, a rate which is even slightly higher than that of the trial group, and a similar proportion of participants was hospitalised. In addition, 16 infants suffered interception, 
and 43 died. In the Rototech trial, similar rates were recorded in the control group. Serious adverse events were reported in one of every 40 subjects. 15 suffered interception and 20 infants died. Using the word placebo to describe the vaccine song's antigen leaves the false impression that it's a safe compound that has no side effects of its own. Formal documents which reference the rotavirus vaccine trials rely on the supposed biological neutrality of that placebo. One example is the Rotorix vaccine package insert, which states in the clause discussing the rate of interception reported in pre-licensure trials, quote, no increased risk of interception was observed in this clinical trial following administration of Rotorix when compared with placebo. The trial in question is the same trial referenced above. There are plenty of other examples too. Nowhere is there any reference to the actual contents of that placebo. The rotavirus vaccine makers were evidently able to find a creative solution to the challenge they faced. They gave their trials control groups compounds that were very similar to their vaccines and, as was no doubt expected, the resultant rates of adverse events were not significantly different from those observed in the trial groups. In future trials of next-generation rotavirus vaccines, GSK and Merck will be able to give their control groups the standard placebo, the currently licensed vaccine, whose safety was already proven in its pre-licensure trials. But there's a fly in this sticky ointment. Unethical trials. As previously discussed, the ethical standards for using children as subjects in clinical trials are exceptionally high. Clinical trial designers must ensure that planned procedures are balanced with respect to the expected benefit and risk to the participating infant or child. If a child subject is likely to receive no benefit, the potential harm must be minimal, or only slightly above the minimum, and by no means permanent or irreparable. In addition, the risks associated with any procedures must be well known in advance. In stark contrast to the standards above, tens of thousands of infants in the control groups of the rotavirus vaccine trials received compounds that could provide no potential benefit to the recipient, yet carried significant risk. Neither GSK's nor Merck's vaccine songs antigen could possibly prevent rotavirus, as they did not contain the antigenic particles that evoke immune reactions to the virus. On the other hand, these compounds had significant potential to cause harm, as demonstrated in the trials. Remember, one in every 30 or 40 control group subjects experienced a serious adverse event. In addition, the safety profiles for the vaccine songs antigens were unknown, and for all we know, still are, as they were new compounds specifically formulated for the rotavirus's trials with no documentation of past safety studies. Hence, the health risks associated with administering them to infants was undetermined. To sum up, tens of thousands of infants were given an utterly useless compound 
whose safety was unknown and whose side effects could be, and probably were in some cases, severe and permanent. Thus, the Phase 3 clinical trials of the rotavirus vaccine constitute blatant violations of the medical code of ethics. This ruthless breach of ethics and morality is highlighted by the fact that there was no scientific justification for giving the vaccine Song's antigen to the control group other than a malicious intention to conceal the experimental vaccine's true rate of adverse events. Using a placebo, a real placebo, that posed no health risk, a few drops of sugar or salt water, would have cost less and led to more scientifically valid conclusions by enabling straightforward calculations of the true adverse event rates as well as vaccine efficacy. The manner in which the rotavirus vaccine trials were conducted raised grave questions which should not be directed solely toward the vaccine manufacturers. The FDA supervises the vaccine approval process, and it's the FDA that approved these trials. The vaccine also received CDC approval and that of other health authorities around the world, even though its pre-licensure trials unnecessarily endangered tens of thousands of children and may have caused serious harm to hundreds as well as dozens of needless deaths. The Declaration of Helsinki is the ethical code governing the conduct of human medical experimentation. The declaration was formulated for the medical scientific community by the World Medical Association and is considered the ethical cornerstone of the medical research field. It leaves no doubt as to the ethical violations perpetrated in the rotavirus trials. Physicians may not be involved in a research study involving human subjects unless they are confident that the risks have been adequately assessed and can be satisfactorily managed. When the risks are found to outweigh the potential benefits, physicians must assess whether to continue, modify or immediately stop the study. A potential research subject who is incapable of giving informed consent must not be included in a research study that has no likelihood of benefit for them unless the research entails only minimal risk and minimal burden. The Nuremberg Code, the medical code of ethics established in the late 1940s to bring Nazi doctors to justice, constitutes the basis of the Declaration of Helsinki. It too underlines the immorality of the rotavirus vaccine trials. Quote, An experiment should be so conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. A similar conclusion was also reached by a World Health Organization committee that recently examined placebo use in clinical trials. Ponder it as you will, you won't find a satisfactory explanation for the way the rotavirus vaccine trials were conducted other than the malicious desire to assist the manufacturers in obscuring and concealing the vaccine's true adverse event rates. This demonstrates that the public health establishment is willing to go to great lengths to maintain the pretense of vaccine safety, casting aside medical ethics and even fundamental principles of morality in the process.